Welcome to the No Gray Area Pod, where we discuss breaking news and top stories in the world of sports. Hosted by two brothers that love heated discussions. The NGA Pod begins in three, two, one. like to welcome you to the no gray area podcast Derek cooper with my ho- co-host Corey cooper and it's you know an excellent week to begin covering week two of the nfl action we'll recap some of the uh action that happened last week in week one we'll go over some of the scores and highlights for both college football and the nfl as we settle into this one and Corey, an excellent uh, opportunity to be with you here as we'll you know, kind of discuss some of the scores, some of the games that we were surprised by uh, early on uh, in week two of college football. We'll talk about some of the biggest surprises we had, uh, as well as we'll get into the um, top 25 and some of the noteworthy news and updates from college football here early on in this episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This it was a crazy week in college football. It was definitely a crazy week in the NFL. So there's going to be a lot to unpack, and I'm looking forward to diving into it. Let's go ahead and dive right in as the headliner game of the week last week was the number one Alabama Crimson Tide going on the road in a hostile environment to Austin, Texas. College game day was there uh, for ESPN. It was a ruckus environment, and the game lived up to all the expectations. Alabama kicking a late field goal after Texas took the lead on a late field goal to ultimately win that one 20-19 in a game that you expect between two college powerhouses that are soon to be SEC foes. Yeah, that was a game where many expected it to be a shootout where they're scoring at least 50 points apiece. Uh, And it just ended up turning into a defensive battle, and it surprised everybody. But I give my props to Texas because they held in against what everybody thinks to be a superpower this year. And they pretty much almost wired-to-wired them. And I I saw as soon as there was like a minute 20 minutes, at 25 left on the clock Bryce Young the Heisman of last year is getting the ball I'm like I don't know I I feel like Alabama was going to take that one sure enough they ended up doing that yeah a big defensive play late in that ball game a corner from Texas on a corner blitz just unable to bring down Bryce Young in the backfield had a chance for a sack there Bryce Young Young scrambles up the sideline, gets Alabama's offense into field goal position and ultimately able to kick the field goal to get the win there. Uh, Georgia handling Samford uh, at home 33-0. It was Ohio State, the number three team in the country, 45-12 over Arkansas State. Clemson, the number five team in the country, 35-12 over Furman at home. And then a big one in College Station, it was the Appalachian State Mountaineers going on the road and defeating Texas A&M 17-14 in a big ball game at Kyle Field and and we talked about this a little off the air an Appalachian State team that really controlled the running game uh, they really kept A&M's offense off the field A&M only with 187 yards of total offense in that game uh, and they really just ground the clock shortened the game and found a way to win uh, later on in that contest yeah Appalachian State they brought it in that game their defense was excellent they didn't let A&M have any room to do anything on offense and Ultimately, they were able to kick the game-winning field goal and uh, come away with a W in Kyle Field. 
number seven, Oklahoma, 33-3 at home over Kent State. It was Marshall going on the road to Notre Dame and getting a victory, 26-21. And Notre Dame really in a letdown spot there after they play Ohio State in week one of the regular season. They played them close at the horseshoe, ultimately coming away with the loss. And now for Notre Dame, starting 0-2 in the post-Brian Kelly era, a little bit of an adjustment for the new coaching staff, and it'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame bounces back going forward uh, with an 0-2 start. Yeah, Marshall really, really took control of that game, and it really wasn't close towards the end. I mean, Notre Dame got a late touchdown, but other than that, Marshall really was the one that controlled that game. Three losses in the top 10 as the number nine Baylor Bears go on the road to the number 21 BYU Cougars and suffer a loss in double overtime, 26-20. And it really looked late in that ball game like Baylor just did not trust their quarterback on the road. They ran the ball an extensive, an extended period of, for an extended period of time, and ultimately uh, BYU was able to squeak out a six-point victory and really bolster their resume as they continue on here early in the 2022 season. Yeah, that one was a big surprise for me. I thought Baylor was going to be able to take care of business, but BYU ultimately came in there and got the job done. Kentucky, the number 20 team in the country, goes on the road to Florida, coming off the big victory against the Utah Utes, a top-10 victory for Florida. The number 12 team in the country, the Florida Gators, suffer a 10-point loss at the hands of the University of Kentucky in the swamp as quarterback Will Levis led his team to victory. Kentucky ultimately pulling away late in that one to get the 10-point victory. It was the number 16 Arkansas Razorbacks hosting the South Carolina Gamecocks, winning 44-30. to Tennessee, the Tennessee Volunteers going on the road in a rematch from last year's epic battle between Tennessee and the Pitt Panthers. It was the Pitt Panthers, the number 17 team in the country, losing to the number 24 team in the country as Tennessee wins by 7, 34-27. It was NC State at home against Charleston, 55-3, handling that one easily. Ole Miss, the number 22 team in the country, handling Central Arkansas, 59-3 at home. It was Wake Forest going on the road to Vanderbilt and winning 45-25 in that one, the number 23 team in the country. And then rounding out the top 25, it was the 20, number 25-ranked team, the Houston Cougars, going on the road at Texas Tech, losing in overtime 33-30 in that one. And no surprise there, those two teams very evenly matched. Texas Tech could easily be in the back half of the top 25. Um, and those two teams really played each other well both times they played them this year or in the last two years. Yeah, Houston's still missing a couple key players on offense, and uh, I feel like that was a hostile environment to go into with Texas Tech, and uh, ultimately they weren't able to pull the get the W there. Uh, they did fight the fight all the way to the end. They went to two overtimes, but ultimately Texas Tech was the one to come away with the victory. Some of the biggest surprises uh, in the college football landscape this last week Appalachian State able to handle Texas A&M at Kyle Field. And, you know, one of the things that has stuck out very early on in this season is the inability of Haynes King and the quarterback situation at A&M to move the ball consistently. They ha they just, they're coming off the number one recruiting class in the country. They have all of that SEC talent all over the field. I think their defense is really good, just unable, we're just inexplicably unable to stop the run last week against Appalachian State. I think this is a situation where you might be looking at a quarterback change if you're Coach Jimbo Fisher. Um, Haynes King has has come off of an injury. He hasn't really looked sharp in his first couple of games back. 
They do have Max Johnson, the transfer from LSU, who is the backup. He was warming up in the game last week. They just never touched the football really in the second half as Appalachian State really ground that clock down to a halt. And it'll be interesting to see if Max Johnson gets some playing time this week as they host the Miami Hurricanes. And it'll be interesting to see if Max Johnson ultimately gets the opportunity to step in and maybe take this job away from Haynes King. Yeah, this game was the ultimate head-scratcher. Like, everybody was looking at the updates for this game, and they were scratching their head, and they are wondering what happened down in College Station. And ultimately, it just it looks like Appalachian State was able to control the game through the, uh, through the ground game, and A&M was never able to get anything going with their quarterback. And to me, it just seems like, a&M better figure it out quick because they're heading into SEC play very soon, and it's not going to be good for them if they continue to play this way. Yeah, there's a potential where you could see an A&M team, that A&M team start 1-5 on the season as after they play Miami at home, they go on the road to Mississippi State, then they go on the road to Alabama um, and another tough contest with Arkansas. That's a neutral site game as that's played up at uh, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington and Arkansas looks really good top 16 team this year you know what Alabama is this year after they come off of a tough hard-fought victory against the University of Texas so uh, a very real possibility that Texas A&M might be in trouble and be staring down a one in five start yeah this is a team that a lot of people could have picked to go to the college football playoff this year uh they're off to a rocky start already, losing to an Appalachian State team that really nobody expected to be able to compete in this game, but they ultimately ended up winning it. So, I mean, it's Jimbo Fisher's got things to figure out over there. He's got to figure out his quarterback situation. He's got to figure out how he can get that offense going and be able to score some points because if they can't, then it's going to be a rough, rough time in the SEC this year for them. And with all the results from last week, we'll go ahead and dive into the AP Top 25 poll as it has come out for week three. And it looks like a majority of the voters receiving 53 first place votes in this week's AP poll. The Georgia Bulldogs ranked number one in the country. Alabama actually slipping to number two in the country, only receiving nine first place votes. It's Ohio State in the three spot with one first place vote. Following that, you have Michigan 2-0 in the fourth spot. You have Clemson at number five. Oklahoma, the first Big 12 school, showing up at sixth in the AP poll. And then you have a surprise team, the USC Trojans, under Coach Lincoln Riley, has climbed into the top ten, now positioned at the number seven spot in the AP top 25. Yeah, USC has been looking really good. I think the jury's still out for them. I don't think they've really played anybody that's worth mentioning right now. I mean, they'll have a couple games where they're going to be tested this year, but I really feel like it's their conference to win, and I don't really think there's going to be another team that can challenge them, and I feel like they have a really good chance to go to the college football playoff this year. Oklahoma State in the eight position, the second Big 12 team in the top ten. It's Kentucky after their big win on the road at Florida coming in at the number nine spot. And then Arkansas 2-0 moves all the way up into the top ten. Michigan State in the 11 spot. BYU after beating Baylor moves into the 12 spot, the first independent on the list. 
it's Miami, the number 13 team in the country. They'll have a big matchup on the road at Texas A&M coming up this week. It's Utah, 1-1 one one on the season. The second Pac-12 school comes in at the number 14 position. Tennessee, 2-0 and on their season, now ranked 15th in the country. North Carolina State, also 2-0. and An ACC school, the second one on um, – the second one on the top 25 in the 16th position. Baylor, after their tough road loss at BYU, falls to 17 from 9th, uh, matching the biggest fall uh, that stays in the top 10 as they fall eight positions. Florida falls six positions and now is number 18 in the country. Wake Forest, number 19, up four spots after after their win against Vanderbilt last week. They are 2-0. and Ole Miss, rounding out the top 20 in the 20th position, they are now 2-0, and and they move up two spots. The first time into the top 25 for the Texas Longhorns, they move in into the 21st position after their tough, hard-fought home loss against the University of Alabama, where essentially they did lead from wire to wire. It's Penn State 2-0 and into the 22nd position. They have a big road game this week at Auburn. Pittsburgh, um, falls six positions into the 23rd spot. For some reason, not understanding this, and this may be a little bit of an SEC bias, Texas A&M falls 18 positions after their inexplicable loss at home against Appalachian State, somehow managing to salvage a 24th ranking in the AP Top 25, and it's Oregon rounding out the Top 25. They will have a monster home date with the BYU Cougars this Saturday at 3.30 Eastern. They round out the Top 25 in the 25, 25th spot out of the Pac-12. You know, and, and, and if, if there's anything to say about the top 25 that I saw, a couple decent surprises in the top 25. Obviously, you see USC has positioned themselves as the leader in the Pac-12 as a team that could potentially represent the Pac-12 in the playoff. You have teams like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in the top 10, but closely following them are Baylor at 17 and now Texas, who after their performance last week kind of looks like the class of the Big 12 uh, and maybe a little bit of a SEC talent type preview um, as Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach there, has begun to kind of morph that program into a more SEC-like um, situation. Um, and then you have some SEC schools rounding out the top 10 in Kentucky and Arkansas. And there, I think there's a situation where you have kind of the two beasts in the SEC in Georgia and Alabama in one and two. And then it's essentially everybody else. And I wonder how much them beating up on each other down the stretch. If Georgia and Alabama can go through their SEC slate undefeated, how much of the attrition affects the number nine tens, you know, and the likes of the rest of the SEC down the down the rest of the AP poll? Yeah, it's going to be very challenging this year, especially since I really don't believe there's a clear-cut favorite in the SEC. I mean, Alabama is very loaded. Georgia's very loaded. But they do look a bit iffy. I mean, Georgia, they did handle their schedule pretty well so far. Alabama, they were a little bit shaky over in uh, UT. Uh, but, yeah, that was a hostile environment. And uh, UT, they're severely underrated. They're finally getting some ranking nationally. Uh, but it's going to be a tough schedule for both of these teams. I don't under, I don't. I don't think that Alabama is going to be beat this year. But there are a couple teams that are on the rise in the SEC that they're going to be able to face this year, and they could be able to take them down. Yeah, the first firing ultimately um, 
comes at the hands of the Nebraska Cornhuskers as they ultimately uh, let go of Scott Frost after their disappointing loss uh, to Georgia Southern uh, this weekend as Georgia Southern goes on the road into Lincoln, Nebraska and gets the victory and Scott Frost fired from Nebraska the first uh, power five job opening that has come available early on in the season and really the Scott Frost era was marred by you know the the inability to win close games uh, nine and three record or three and nine record last year but every close game seemed to not go their way Scott Frost gets the benefit of the doubt he gets another year um, and ultimately going into this season it was pretty much Scott Frost had to win or he was going to be let go it was just a matter of when not if he was going to be let go after he lost in Ireland to Northwestern to open the season and then following it up with a terrible loss to Georgia Southern at home this week. It was just time for the administration to cut ties and move on and it'll be interesting to see who they pursue to fill that role. Yeah, I kind of saw this one coming. I told you before, after they lost to the Northwestern team, that he kind of didn't handle that game well. He didn't manage it well. There was some head-scratching plays that he called in that game. And he ended up beating North Dakota the next week and then losing to Georgia Southern probably was the final nail in the coffin for his, his career at Nebraska. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who would take over for that team because there's not a lot of talent there right now. Uh, it's going to be a full rebuild probably for whoever steps in and takes over that job. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, there's a couple of high-profile candidates that might take on the job. Like I, I can see Urban Meyer stepping into that role if he feels like he needs to get a, a coaching job out of the way before he goes to a bigger school. Uh, yeah, there's so many candidates that could take over that job, but uh, we'll see. It's going to be a full rebuild. I want to give you three names that I think will probably be at the top of the list uh, when they I'll, – I'll say four. I'll give you four names that I think should be at the top of Nebraska's list that have to at least get a phone call and maybe a fifth one if he becomes available, okay? I'm going to start with Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Matt Campbell knows how to recruit to get players to come play in the Midwest. Um, he's done a decent job at Iowa State at least – developing and cultivating talent that he's able to convince to come to Iowa State. And I think he would be a good fit uh, at Nebraska. Um, ultimately, I think there's another name uh, in the head coaching ranks now at another school uh, that would be a very viable candidate. I think you have to call Dave Aranda at Baylor. I think you have to ask him what his price would be uh, to leave a school like Baylor to come to Nebraska now, if you're looking at the, you know, quality of job, I think Nebraska is a better quality job than Baylor just from a resources standpoint. And then also, if you're going into the Big Ten, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be the conferences left standing. So if you have an opportunity to fill one of those open chairs in the Big Ten or the SEC, I think you have to jump at those opportunities. The two coaches I think that are going to be under the radar but should be candidates that get calls from Nebraska are Tom Herman, who the last time he was a head coach was at Texas. He had four winning seasons at Texas before he was let go. And then I think you have to call the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and that's Bill O'Brien, who had a successful stint at the, as the Houston Texans head coach in the NFL. 
and ultimately he took over at a Penn State program that was in shambles after the Jerry Sandusky scandal and the Joe Paterno uh, situation, and he ultimately helped build that program back to a respectable program that it is today. Yeah, I don't have any problem with any of those coaches that you just named, but I, I will give you one surprise head coach that I feel like they should definitely look into, and he was in the college football playoff last year, and I think you know what I'm going to say. It's Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, and that team's looking to try to go into the Big 12 sometime soon, and I still don't feel like that's a job that he needs to take on I feel like he belongs at a bigger school, and I feel like Nebraska could be the team that that swoops in and gets Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati and takes over that program to yeah, take could, them to a newer place, to yeah, a higher place. Yeah, I can definitely see Luke Fickle being lured away from Cincinnati for a Big Ten-type job since he did come to Cincinnati from Ohio State uh, as Ryan Day took over at Ohio State. But um, another name that I think – most college jobs will be kind of keeping their eye on um, given that he has a situation going on in the NFL that could potentially lead him back to college. I think that's Matt Rule of the Carolina Panthers. I think Matt Rule showed that he's an excellent college coach when he took over uh, Baylor and left Baylor in a good place when he decided to take the Carolina Panthers job. And I think if it does not work out for Matt Rule at the Carolina Panthers, I think he's going to be a very hot name uh, for any coaching opening in the Power Five. Yeah, he would be an interesting interesting choice for any college football uh, program that he wants to come back to, but I feel like he has unfinished business in the NFL. So even if he did end up having a non-successful season with uh, the Panthers this year, I still feel like he's going to stick around in the NFL and try to uh, get another job there. So as we turn from you know, the firing of Scott Frost at Nebraska and, and talk about some of the other um, top stories around college football. There was a video released of the Texas A&M Yale leaders uh, essentially making fun uh, and taking some liberties with some jokes that, you know, in, in 2022, I don't think these jokes would fly more. So basically calling, you know, the players at Appalachian State hillbillies and and saying that they can't read maps and, and things like that. So, um, you know, there's been a, a, a significant amount of traction on social media about this video, uh, even to the point where Texas A&M uh, administration has tried to strike down the video from multiple social media uh, sources, things like that. Um, so a little bit of circling the wagons for Texas A&M leadership after, you know, there's some, you know, very, uh, you know, disturbing comments made uh, for lighthearted for people that don't take jokes like that in a lighthearted fashion, um, and and really just with all the turmoil going on with the loss to Appalachian State, you add that to, uh, you add that to the mix, and that's kind of just fuel on the fire uh, for the football program for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting situation there. And it all depends on who you are and how you take it, you know. Uh, I mean, I know you and I, we went to a Yankees game where we were getting beer and hot dogs thrown at us and called every name in the book. And we saw Zach Greinke going through it on the mound where they were calling him all kinds of names due to his condition. 
And, you know, it's just about where you're at, you know. You're going to deal with that in those kind of situations, you know, where people aren't going to say something that, or people are going to say something that you're not going to like. But it's just about that line, you know. There's a line that you just don't cross, you know. Did they cross that line? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. It just depends uh, how this situation unfolds, but... It does not look good for A&M on the field or off the field right now. Yeah, and, and, and again, you have the, the situation with the football program and, and where it's at right now and a, a lot of high expectations. I don't think Texas A&M is completely dead at this point yet, um, given the fact that they do play in the SEC. They do have the kind of schedule where they can roll off four, five, six ranked wins against quality opponents throughout the rest of their schedule. So... I don't think A&M's at a point where they're kind of dead in the water, um, but they do have an opportunity to really, you know, climb out of that hole and that abyss this weekend when they host a ranked Miami Hurricanes team, um, and that should be a significant test for A&M. Uh, and it goes back to, you know, you have situations that come up and you just have to learn to deal with the adversity and move forward. Uh, another program in Texas that had some adversity this weekend you know, the Texas Longhorns, they lose their starting quarterback in the first quarter, ultimately have to play three quarters of that game with a backup quarterback that also hurt his ankle in that game. Um, and so, you know, you learn this lesson as a college football coach or as someone that's around a college football program, there's always going to be adversity. you got to find ways to fight through that adversity. And really, you're the best teams in the country find ways to deal with the adversity and come out better for it than letting the adversity kind of dictate uh, how their season or how their their reaction is going to go to certain things. Yeah, I believe that this Miami game coming up for A&M is a must-win if they want to keep on track to try to get to the college football playoff and try to have a chance to take over Alabama as the winner of this conference. Uh, but if they can't get that done, then I don't see how there's any chance for them to get into the college football playoff this, uh, this year. And it's going to look really bad on Jimbo Fisher, considering he had the number one overall class this year. Uh, especially with the whole thing with Nick Saban and them going back and forth, Nick Saban calling him out, and then them both kind of taking subtle jabs at each other. It's just, it's not looking good for A&M. But moving on to UT, that QB situation, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch because Sarkeesian still hasn't named a starter for this week yet. And uh, we just don't know who it's going to be at this point. They, there's still rumblings that Ewers could still play this week. He could try to play with that shoulder injury. Uh, but we just don't know yet because he's kind of keeping it airtight right now. Yeah, there's uh, specifically about the uh, Quinn Ewers situation, there is a possibility that he can play. Um, Steve Sarkeesian did say that all of his quarterbacks were essentially day-to-day -day at this point. Uh, so nobody has been ruled out for the game this coming up weekend. He also would not divulge to the media who was taking first-team reps uh, with the starters uh, in his quarterback situation. Obviously, we know there's no quarterback controversy there. Quinn Ewers is the guy, right? So um, this is more about is Quinn Ewers healthy enough to put pads on and take hits at this point? Um, or do you let him maybe take a week or two off if Hudson Card can navigate the ship uh, and let him get a little bit more healthy heading into 
maybe the game before they play Oklahoma in the Red River, Red River rivalry, as that will be an opportunity for him to kind of showcase again in a big spot how effective – I mean, let's just be honest. Quinn Ewers was 9 of 12 from the field, uh, 9, of, 9 of 12 com- completion percentage, uh, and he really uh, was controlling and dictating how the Alabama offense – I mean, the Alabama defense was um, able to kind of – you know, or the Texas offense was able to kind of work against the Alabama defense. He he really was dictating the game. He really had a, a, a great poise and a great moxie about him. And, and, and to be honest with you, I came away from that game thinking that Quinn Ewers was outside of Bryce Young and maybe C.J. Stroud. I think Quinn Ewers is the third best quarterback in college football today. Yeah, uh, UT has a lot of weapons on both sides of the ball. We obviously saw that their defense was very underrated going into that Alabama game, and they really showed up and shut down a Heisman uh, Heisman candidate who already has won a Heisman. Uh, but the jury's still out on Hudson Card. I feel like he's going to be a very good game manager. They do not have an easy road the next two weeks if they want to let Quinn Ewers sit and rest that arm for a little bit. They play UTSA at home, and then they are at Texas Tech. And those are not going to be easy games. I know on paper UT is going to be a favorite. Uh, but I just I just don't see them winning those games by a lot if it's Hudson Card as a QB. Yeah, and I think it will just depend on, you know, how do you navigate the schedule, right? And that's, that's going to be something that Steve Sarkeesian has to figure out. I think this UT team is poised to, if they can run the table, represent the Big 12 in the college football playoff. Um, and another team that's kind of surprised a lot of people, just like the Texas Longhorns did last week, and that's the USC Trojans, right? Everybody um, not sure what to make of what the USC Trojans would be in uh, Lincoln Riley's first year at the helm of USC. Um, but the the offense has shown that it, it can move from Norman, Oklahoma to Los Angeles, California, and skip no beats as as they are beginning to put up points in bunches. I think this team can average 45 points a week on the offensive side of the football. But it's going to be, can Alex Grinch's defense for the USC Trojans, can it stop anybody when it matters? That's always been kind of Lincoln Riley's uh, Achilles heel, so to speak, when he was at Oklahoma and when he made runs into the college football playoff. He just, he just couldn't get stops against really good offensive teams from the SEC, particularly that historically good LSU team and then when he played uh, Alabama in the Orange Bowl uh, the one year he faced Alabama you just couldn't get enough stops uh, in the college football playoff and and that's really kind of been the only black mark on Lincoln Riley's uh, coaching resume to this point Um, and then you just have to now that they're the number six or number eight team in the country or seven team in the country um, you really have to think about is USC uh, for real, and are they uh, ready to kind of represent and be that flag bearer for the Pac-12 for the next two years? Yeah, USC is going to be an interesting team to watch all year long. Uh, their schedule, it seems fairly easy for the caliber of a team that they are. Uh, Lincoln Riley basically just copy and pasted Oklahoma and took them over to USC. Uh, he had a lot of transfers that transferred over from Oklahoma to USC to go with him. Uh, the team's got a lot of talent. Lincoln Riley is going to be a very good coach. He has been a very good coach for a while now. Uh, it just depends on whenever he sees that big opponent, can he win that big game? Because the big question mark for him was every time he went to the college football playoff, he was not able to overcome 
that adversity of playing the big game and playing against the team that is just as good or if not better talent wise and so we'll see with him uh he does have a fresh start over at usc that is a huge program they have a lot of history and so he's got he's got his hands full and trying to get this this team back on the trajectory that they expect going forward yeah and rolling off of that note we'll move into um, a segment that we would like to do you know both in college football and the pros every week and that's stock watch right we want to know we want to talk about kind of which teams we think are, are we're buying as good teams and which teams are we selling stock as the, we expect them to be bad teams the rest of the year so I'm going to kick it off to you Corey um, you know what are some teams give me two or three teams that you're really buying as you're buying their stock as a good team but that's a good investment for the rest of 2022 well i'm gonna kick it off with uh one that a lot of people were surprised with this year and it's going to be brigham young uh that team looks really good they went into baylor and they got that w against the top 10 team and uh they are showing that they're for real this year and they're going to be able to compete with all the top teams in this league and so that's my first one. For another one, I would say Kentucky. Kentucky is a big team that could make some noise in the SEC this year on the uh, on the east side of the bracket. Uh, it's really Georgia over there uh, as the top team. And, you know, you could really navigate through the other teams. It's not, it's not very – it's top-heavy there, but it's not – it's not really deep on that side of the bracket, so they should be able to navigate it and be able to stay in the top ten to the top five all year long. Uh, and they have that quarterback, uh, Levis. He will be a Heisman candidate all year long. Um, can he win it? That's that's going to be a tough one considering there's so many top quarterbacks this year that can be able to win the Heisman Trophy. But he has gotten off to a very solid start, and I believe that Kentucky can be a team that can make some noise this year. Yeah, I think both of those teams that you mentioned, um, I hesitate a little bit on the Kentucky part. I think they're going to be a good team. I just struggle seeing anybody outside of Alabama or Georgia coming out of the SEC. I think those two teams are just head and shoulders above everybody else in that conference. Uh, so I struggle to see, uh, you know, that team being able to um, kind of represent their conference in a way that uh, – could potentially be you know the conference champion or the conference runner-up I think they would have to find a way to beat a really good Georgia team and I'm not sure if Kentucky is in the spot where they could potentially do that you know and it's it's a situation where you know when Kentucky hosts Georgia on November 19th that's the next to last week of the season they could potentially be playing for the SEC East championship essentially, to represent the SEC East in the SEC championship game. And that's going to be a very interesting storyline as we go down the stretch is will Kentucky to continue will Kentucky continue to win at the rate that they're winning and winning the tough tests that they have? Uh, just just beating um, just beating Florida, they'll have an opportunity to kind of you know, move forward. They get a you know a laugher next week at Youngstown State or home for Youngstown State. Then they host Northern Illinois. 
then they're at Ole Miss, host South Carolina, host Mississippi State, then the big test. They'll have a week off before they go to Tennessee. They really have a schedule that breaks down for them to where they have an opportunity to be really good at the end. They have a lot of games, a lot of games at home. They only have one tough road game, and that's at Tennessee. Um, and if they can find a way to get that victory in that game, you know, they're at Missouri, they're home for Vanderbilt. They round out their schedule with home for Georgia and then home for Louisville. So this schedule does set up really well for Kentucky to be one of those surprise teams down the stretch. Yeah, and I just I looked at that Georgia game, and it's at home in Kentucky. And I feel like if Levis can control that game, control the pace of the game, and be able to navigate around that awesome Georgia defense, get some uh, get some points on the board early, put Georgia on their heels in that hostile environment, then I feel like they can take care of business there and play their way into that SEC championship. Yeah, and the other team you mentioned, the Brigham Brigham Young Cougars, BYU, they just finished beating Baylor at home. Now they have a tough test on the road at Oregon. And then their schedule shapes up after Oregon with Wyoming, uh, Wyoming at home, Utah State at home. Then they're on a neutral site game against Notre Dame in Las Vegas. Then they are at home for Arkansas. Then they go to Liberty, home for East Carolina, which is another good team. Then they're at Boise State. They have a bye week, and then they are home for Utah Tech and then at Stanford to close the season. I think those Notre Dame game, the Notre Dame game in a neutral site in Las Vegas, and then hosting Arkansas the following week, if Arkansas can maintain um, their place in the top 25 i think byu finally has a schedule that the voters will hold won't hold against them right they'll have a win against the big 12 champion from last year in baylor at home they'll go to oregon and potentially win that game against a pac-12 uh, opponent that should be in the top half of the pac-12 they'll have the you know, the the neutral site game against Notre Dame if they can get that victory and then a game against a home a home game against an SEC opponent in Arkansas that potentially could be a very vital piece of their resume if they can go through all of those games unblemished I think you're looking at a top six BYU team heading down the stretch against some pretty easy opponents and could be a very scary team for a, a fringe team or a second SEC team to try to get into the college football playoff. Yeah, this is one of those years where Brigham Young, they look very good. Their schedule's breaking the right way for them. They're gonna have they're gonna have some decent opponents. I mean, I know Notre Dame's been a little shaky lately. They've lost two games. They played Ohio State very well in that game. Uh will that be the Notre Dame that shows up against Brigham Young? We will we won't know yet. Uh, but we'll see. Uh but yeah, Brigham Young, they're they're looking very good to start the season. Their schedule is going to break right for them. They play enough. They play enough opponents to where the committee will be able to look at them and be like, "Oh, can we let them into the college football playoff or not?" Uh, but yeah, uh, those are my two surprise teams. Uh, I feel like they're going to make a lot of noise. Kentucky's got a Heisman candidate at the helm. Brigham Young's looking very good, top to bottom, on both sides of the ball. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I feel like those two teams can make some noise late in the year, and one of them can at least sneak into the college football playoff. 
another thing that helps BYU, and this is why there were some people that were very high on BYU to start the season. They returned in 2022 eight offensive starters, and they returned all 11 defensive starters from a 10-3 and team a year ago. Yeah, that team is going to be very deep. They're very experienced. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to handle all year. I would just say look out Notre Dame. Brigham Young's going to be coming. They're hungry. They're wanting to get into the college football playoff, and they have a lot to play for. And so as you've bought a couple teams that were good, uh, what are a couple, two, three teams that you might think that uh, you're selling their stock as they just are worse than expectations this year? Uh, well, obviously we have – and I'll give you a big surprise this year. I actually think that Ohio State is one that you need to sell stock in, to be honest with you. Uh, they are very loaded – don't get me wrong, but that Notre Dame game really opened the eyes for me that they're they're going to have games where they're going to be tested and can they handle that pressure? Can can they overcome that? And I they shown it last year to where they can lose a game that they should not have lost earlier in the year. Uh, and I feel like that will happen again this year to where it would keep them out of the college football playoff. So I'm actually looking at Michigan to be the team to overtake Ohio State this year and win the Big the Big Ten. Uh, I feel like Michigan's going to be the tougher team, and I think that in that matchup against each other, Michigan's going to overtake them, and Michigan's going to be the team to represent the Big Ten this year. So, yeah, I would definitely sell on Ohio State. Yeah, and you make a lot of sense. I think a lot of people, when that Notre Dame-Ohio State game was played to open the season – I think a lot of people came away from that game thinking about how good Ohio, how good Notre Dame was to keep the game close. And I think as you've seen more weeks of play, I think you actually have started to see that Notre Dame's not as good of a team as we thought. And maybe it was Ohio State maybe played down to their competition a little bit, or maybe Ohio State's just not as good as everybody thought. Yes, they do bring back six offensive starters, including C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. And you know you bring those guys back, so you have the weapons on the outside. The defense brings back eight, but their defense was nowhere near as good as it usually is under Coach Ryan Day. Um, so this was an 11-2 and two team last year that – you know, showed signs of being elite, especially at the end of the season in that amazing Rose Bowl game where they they just exploded against the Utah team in uh, California. And so it'll be interesting as Notre Dame, you know, was a, a big victory for them. They played uh, Arkansas State. They'll have Toledo next. Then they have Wisconsin at home. So all home games, then they get Rutgers. Then their first real true road test will be at Michigan State. That will be October the 8th. Then they have an open week followed by at home versus Iowa. Then they go to Penn State, go to Northwestern, home for Indiana, at Maryland, and then they are home for Michigan. And it will be interesting to see how that Michigan game shapes up. As you said, it. I think Michigan is a team that people – you know, I don't think Michigan has gotten the respect that they deserve for how loaded they are across the board. They make the quarterback change uh, last week. 
or actually they make the quarterback change last week and ultimately it turns into an opportunity for J.J. McCarthy who by all accounts is a is a is a, is a, a an all-around player Cade McNamara who led the team to the playoff last year really more of a game manager um, can get first downs with his feet uh, but J.J. McCarthy is a guy that can sling the rock and put up points for the Michigan Wolverines and I think the entire fan base as well as John Harbaugh or as well as Jim Harbaugh has finally decided to go with J.J. McCarthy and I think it's the right decision for Michigan and I think this Michigan team is going to be very dangerous going down the stretch the rest of the way. I mean, yeah, you, you saw this Michigan team take down Ohio State last year and I feel like they're in a very good position to do it again this year. Uh, and they... Really, Michigan won that game soundly last year, and I feel like Harbaugh's finally got Ohio State's number. He's settling into his head coaching role there in Michigan, and he's finally starting to put his teams on the field and show what he can do in the college football ranks. And it's really paying off big time for Michigan. I feel like they're going to take that step forward this year and be that team to represent the Big Ten in the actual championship in college football playoff. And... Will they win it? I don't know. I feel like that is going to be a very good game, depending on who's in there with them. But I feel like Michigan's going to be the team to go to the championship this year. And with with college football wrapped up for week two, we'll move on to the NFL side of things as we had a lot of very interesting and close and tight ball games in week one as we'll go ahead and run down the scoreboard for you first on thursday night to open the 2022 nfl regular season it was the buffalo bills going on the road and getting a 31 to 10 victory versus the defending champion the los angeles rams then to start your sunday action in the morning slate it was the new orleans saints going on the road to the atlanta falcons and coming away with a 27 26 victory on a kick basically at the buzzer same can be said for the browns who hit a uh, long field goal to win 26 24 over the carolina panthers that was the baker makefield revenge game and the panthers come up short there in the monsoon bowl it was the chicago bears defending soldier field winning 19 to 10 versus the favored san francisco 49ers no quarterback was able to do anything in that ball game it was a slip and slide from the beginning of the game and the bears were able to maintain control of that one to get a victory it was the steelers going on the road and avenging two big losses last year to the cincinnati Bengals. They end up picking picking Joe Burrow off four times in that one and winning 23-20. to 20. It was the Philadelphia Eagles going to Detroit and beating Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions 38-35. A big lead for the Eagles, and the Lions clawed back into that one late. The Texans and Colts played to a 20-20 tie in after overtime as the Texans had a 20-3 lead, unable to maintain control of that one ultimately going to overtime and unable to come away with a victory in a 20 to 20 tie. The Patriots go on the road and lose 20 to seven in a revamp to the Miami Dolphins and their revamped offense around Tua Tagovailoa as they have continued to be, uh, as they've continued to be um, very high on the Dolphins offense under new coach Mike McDaniel and it showed as Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are going to be tough to cover for that offense. The Ravens go on the road against the hapless Jets with Joe Flacco, the backup quarterback, manning the offense for the Jets, only able to put up nine points against the Baltimore Ravens in a 24-9 loss. 
it was the Jacksonville Jaguars going on the road to the Washington Commanders and losing 28-22, but a lot of positive signs for the Jacksonville Jaguars under new coach Doug Peterson. The Giants under coach new under new coach Brian Dayball getting a 21-20 victory against the Tennessee Titans as the Giants go for two in that one late in that ball game and give it to Saquon Barkley who had one hell of a football game and he showed that he's back fully healthy. The Kansas City Chiefs dominating the Arizona Cardinals 44-21 on the road in that one. It was the Chargers winning by 5, 24-19 against the Las Vegas Raiders. The Packers go to Minnesota, and they get dominated in their opener 23-7, similar to last year as they went to New Orleans and got beat last year by a lopsided margin. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not giving up a touchdown in week one as they win 19-3 on the Sunday nighter in Dallas against the Dallas Cowboys and in the Monday night game a close and tight one ultimately won by the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 16 on a missed field goal at the buzzer by the Denver Broncos and they were able to defend home field and get a win against their former quarterback Russell Wilson yeah week one of the NFL is always crazy because you never know who's going to show up who's going to be ready to go to start the season and you know, it kind of showed in some games, but other games it did kind of go according to plan on how we thought it was going to go. Uh, I look at that Vikings-Packers game like, wow. I, I cannot believe that. I mean, you can expect that there's going to be some gelling issues early on with Aaron Rodgers and his wide receiver group, but that was just a terrible display on offense. I just I, I have no words for what happened there. Uh, LaFleur has definitely got a lot of work to do with Aaron Rodgers to get that offense going this year. But, wow, that that was just terrible. And it also cost me a victory in fantasy football as well. So a couple of big surprises, at least early on in week one. I thought the Browns roster showed up in a big way against the Carolina Panthers. The Browns win showed me more that the Browns without, at least for the first 11 games of the season, because of his suspension, they'll have a chance to at least be somewhat competitive. And we talked about it off air, at least early on in that schedule, they're going to have to notch some victories so that they stay competitive. But that Browns roster is probably the best overall roster in football. And it showed when they went on the road and got the victory against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that's a game where I honestly thought that the Panthers were going to get the W in. And it really surprised me that the Browns showed up the way that they did. Uh, but yeah, they did show that they will be able to navigate the schedule. Now, I won't, I won't go ahead and say that they're going to be able to win a lot of games this year without Deshaun Watson, because it was the first week, and you can't really get a lot off of the first week. But I will say that their schedule coming up after this Panthers game, they have a. I would say a roughly easy matchup against the Jets. I feel like that's a game that they can win with their roster, even with Brissett at quarterback. Then they play the Steelers, the Falcons, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Ravens, the Browns, or the Bengals, and then the Dolphins and the Bills and the Buccaneers. And in that slate of games right there, I could easily see them maybe winning one or two games in that whole stretch. Maybe against the Falcons and the... Yeah, I mean, that's really the Falcons game is the only one that I could see them winning in that stretch. Other than that, that could be a very rough slate for them. Another game that I was very surprised with the team's performance, not so much the result, but just 
the man, the the way they manhandled their opponent in that one, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. I think you're beginning to see what I think is going to be the Patrick Mahomes revenge tour. Patrick Mahomes had to deal all offseason with people saying that defenses had started to figure him out, figure out how to play zone against him, how to make him be patient up and down the field. And all he did was put up 44 points in the opener. I think that offense is going to be rolling. They probably have two complementary tight ends to go with Travis Kelsey. So I do think they can create some monster matchup nightmares, especially in run formations for that team. Um, I think getting rid of Tyreek Hill actually makes Patrick Mahomes share the ball to more of his playmakers uh, instead of just solely relying on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to make a bulk of the plays for his team. And so I think you're going to see uh, a Patrick Mahomes that's going to be well on his way this year to winning the league MVP based on what he showed me in week one. Yeah, we all know Patrick Mahomes is very good. He's like top three at least in the league and there's no question about that but losing Tyreek Hill is a big deal I feel like week one doesn't really show me a lot other than the fact that Patrick Mahomes canceling the rock and the team the team that was playing them didn't really approach the situation like oh this guy can really play we need to be able to defend all these wide receivers because he can't get it around to everybody that he wants to and I feel like it was just the game plan thing that broke down for the Cardinals, and that allowed Patrick Mahomes to be able to throw those touchdowns and pick them apart, really. Uh, but going forward, I don't feel like Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to continue to do this, uh, just based off the fact that he doesn't have a very talented wide receiver group. Yes, he's very talented himself, but when defenses really lock in and want to scheme against him, then they can be able to prevent him from doing what he did against the Cardinals. A couple of big injury notes from week one. Dak Prescott injures his throwing hand against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Sunday night game. He had to have surgery the next day, ultimately not being put on IR. Uh, owner Jerry Jones coming out and basically saying that there's a chance that he could play in the next four weeks. So instead of going on IR, he will be unavailable at least for the next couple of weeks. Cooper Rush will get the start for the Dallas Cowboys in week two as the Cincinnati Bengals come to Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas. And I think this is a situation where Mike McCarthy could potentially lose his job based on the, all the injuries that have happened to the offense thus far. I'm very concerned with the Cowboys' inability to put points on the board at this point. They do have a, a decently tough schedule, being a first-place schedule from that NFC East division win last year, and they get the AFC North, um, and that's not an easy division to play against. I actually think the Cowboys are in a position where they could potentially lose double-digit games this year, and Mike McCarthy could be out of a job. I'm actually on the opposite end of that spectrum, to be honest with you. I, I think Cooper Rush can step in and be that guy for Dallas. I think this is going to be a saving grace for McCarthy, that Cooper Rush is this talented, and he has a strong connection with CeeDee Lamb, as you saw against the Vikings last year, whenever he was able to step in and really really play ball the way that he knew, the way the Cowboys knew that he could. And... I feel like they can navigate these next six to eight weeks, depending on how long Dak Prescott's going to be out. He is he is having surgery. He had surgery uh, 
he had surgery on Monday on that right thumb, and it, he is projected to be out six to eight weeks. But I feel like uh, the Cowboys roster is talented enough to where they can navigate, especially through that division where there's not a lot of good teams. I mean, it's the Eagles and pretty much we don't know what the Giants are going to be this year. Uh, they had a very strong showing this week, but uh, I still feel like it's the Cowboys' division to lose, even with Cooper Rush at quarterback for the next six to eight weeks, but we'll see. Uh, but it just all depends on what they do this week with Cooper Rush. Yeah, and another big injury that happened in week one of the NFL. We'll actually cover two of them real quick. T.J. Watt tearing a pectoral muscle um, in week one against the Cincinnati Bengals. Seeking second opinions on that. Don't think he's going to need surgery on that injury. Um, and ultimately hopes to be back sometime this season. And while recording the podcast today... We learned that Jamal Adams, the safety for the Seattle Seahawks, has torn his quad, will require surgery, and he will miss the remainder of the 2022 season. Yeah, those are two big losses on the defensive side for both of those teams. We all know Jamal Adams was a huge impact player for the Seahawks. And really, the Steelers losing T.J. Watt, that is a huge loss as the former defensive player of the year. Uh... He was well on his way to probably getting another one this year because I don't really think anybody was going to test him. But it is a big blow for the Steelers, but I think Mike, Mike Tomlin can't maintain. And really the Seahawks, they're kind of in rebuild mode, so I don't think that this impact or this loss is going to impact them as much as it would if they were trying to go win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, but, yeah, I think the bigger loss would probably be T.J. Watt. Uh, but I feel like he'll be back. He'll be better than ever. You know, you saw his brother, J.J. Watt, go through the same thing a couple years before, uh, and he came back just fine. So I think T.J. Watt will be fine whenever he comes back from this injury. Yeah, a couple of big storylines coming out of week one. I thought the Panthers had to win against the Cleveland Browns in week one to kind of get off to the right start. Um I think there's a chance that the Panthers could ultimately get off to a bad start following this loss to the Cleveland Browns. And it's a situation where is this potentially Matt Rule's last opportunity to build a team that could potentially, you know, make a run out of playoff. He was already kind of on the hot seat heading into the end of the year last year. So it'll be interesting to see as you know, he opened up with the Cleveland Browns. Now he goes to the New York Giants, you know, a, a team that pulled off a surprising victory on the road against the Tennessee Titans. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the New York Giants. But then after that, it's home for the Saints, home for the Arizona Cardinals, home for the 49ers, then at the Rams, and then home for the Buccaneers. So you're looking at a schedule after the Giants game where they could potentially be 0 and 7 if they don't get things right and right in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you saw me say, or you heard me say on the uh, on the preview podcast where we were talking about who we'd like to win the divisions, and I had the Panthers right up there as one of those teams that could challenge Tampa Bay for the division lead and win the division. Um, and, you know, I'm not high on on uh, projecting where a team's going to be after week one because there's just so many variables that go into it. Um, I still feel like Baker Mayfield can be the guy in in Carolina and 
It's also kind of a a first game for McCaffrey, who's been injured last year, and he's kind of settling into his role again. And we're going to see who he can be this year as well. But I, I honestly feel like that there's no need to panic with the Carolina Panthers this year based off of what happened week one. It was a very close game against a very talented roster in the Cleveland Browns. Yes, they don't have Deshaun Watson, but Brissett is a very capable game manager. And with that kind of talented roster, it could it could easily go either way. But I honestly feel like Carolina is going to be fine going forward. Just looking at their schedule the rest of the way out, I could easily find 12 losses on that schedule. And a 5-12 and 12 season gets Matt Rule relieved of his duties. It probably gets Baker Mayfield released uh, going forward. Um, and then you, beca- you begin the, okay, well, is there a quarterback in the draft that we can build around going forward uh, for the next couple of years? Um, another big surprise that I came away in week one is I know that the Green Bay Packers started last season in very similar fashion, losing in a landslide at the New Orleans Saints. And ultimately they came back and went went 13-3 and the rest of the way. They ultimately win the NFC's number one seed. And I think, is there any reason at this point to panic, you know, with concern about the Green Bay Packers, given that they do have some issues up front on the offensive line? I thought that they didn't protect Aaron Rodgers very well in week one um, and then their defense for some reason and this defense is going to be a good defense this year for some reason the defense looked like it didn't even know where Justin Jefferson was half the time Justin Jefferson was able to get wide open spear routes across the middle of the field for big yardage I think this team really has to clean up some stuff but is there any reason to be concerned about what potentially could be with the Green Bay Packers this year? I think there's no concern when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, He's going to be fine. It's just about the fact that Matt LaFleur and him have to figure out who his top wideout is going to be, who who his main guy is going to be that he can find whenever he needs him to get a key first down in games to keep the ball moving down the field. Uh, They have the pieces. Their team's very good. Uh, I just feel like they're feeling that Adams loss, like that impact has been bigger than people were going to expect. Uh, and now he has to really find who that next Adams is going to be for him. And you can see week one, there was a lot of key drops that happened that could have potentially turned that game around for them and really put them in a chance to win that game. But, uh, I wouldn't put too much stock into this loss. It was very concerning that they weren't able to move the ball very well. But it is Aaron Rodgers. He's the back-to-back MVP. I expect him to have another MVP caliber season. And like he said before, just relax and let him take his time and figure it out. And I feel like they will. I will move to the stock watch portion on the NFL this for this episode. And, and um, give me two teams that you thought you know, surprise you, maybe are going to be better than expected this year. Um, and then give me two teams that you think, oh, man, I didn't see that coming as far as potentially playing uh, badly and, and, and potentially being in a situation where they might uh, not meet expectations that we had for them before the season. 
So right off the bat, I'm going to give you a team that everybody already had high expectations for, but this team really overcame those expectations and is showing that they're really the real deal this year. And I'm going to go ahead and say the Buffalo Bills are going to be a team that nobody's going to be able to mess with this year. And I think they've kind of catapulted themselves into the clear favorite to go represent the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. And, yeah, that's going to be my pick. Because that team, they they went into L.A. and they showed the Rams who's daddy this year. They, they, just, they did not hold back. They let them know real quick that this is not going to be easy for them to repeat. Yeah, and I get what you're saying about the Buffalo Bills. I've always worried about kind of – how that team is built. They're not really built to be successful in the playoffs. They're not really built to run the ball well in the playoffs. And I think those things, especially in bad weather conditions, which you're very easy, easily able to see uh, in Orchard Park, uh, New York, whenever it's in late January, um, I think you, you have a situation where a home field advantage for the Bills is kind of a neutralizer in a sense in that you just have situations where the weather conditions are going to be so bad, you're going to have to run the football. And besides Josh Allen, who led the team in rushing last year, you don't really have a running game to speak of. And I think that could come back to bite you when you play a team like the Indianapolis Colts or you play a team like the Baltimore Ravens who can run the football, especially in playoff time. And you face a team like that that can really grind up clock and you have another factor in affecting how much your offense can be on the field. Yeah, that can be a factor, but I feel like they've had a couple test runs to be able to try to figure that out going into the postseason this year. Um, I feel like they're going to be able to game plan this time around to be able to navigate that that blizzard-like, uh, that blizzard-like uh, setting that they're going to be in. And I feel like if they, if they do a lot of short routes with digs... Uh, and they have Dalton not, or Knox uh, be able to uh, to get open in the flat sometimes. Then they'll be able to navigate those those tough uh, those tough weather conditions. But that defense, they just look really good. They they were able to shut down that Rams offense uh, in their own field, and they let them know real quick that they're not going to be able to move the ball. And for the most part in that whole game the Rams were not able to do anything with it other than to be able to get the ball to Cooper Cup. Yeah, and I think that I think that people will get to see a little bit more of this week when you go into the week two schedule is the Tennessee Titans go to Buffalo on Monday night. I think you're going to see if the Buffalo Bills defense can hold up against the run. We know the Buffalo Bills defense can play the pass and get after the quarterback. I want to see how they hold up against a rusher like Derrick Henry, a team very similar to one that they could see in the playoffs uh, in that second weekend of playoffs in the AFC. I'm not saying by any means that I don't like the Bills. I think the Bills are a great team. I just don't like them to be the number one seed in the AFC because I think that actually presents more problems for them. I would actually like the Bills to be like the three or the four seed in the AFC when it's all said and done. That way they can go on the road to indoor you know, environments like in Indianapolis uh, or an environment like last year when they went to Kansas City. While, yes, it was cold, it wasn't anything crazy that the quarterbacks couldn't operate in, right? So I just think this team, I like them on the road better than I do at home in January. 
Yeah, so if if you're not taking the Bills, and I'm interested to see who you would take as the number one seed in the AFC oh, I now think, that you've seen what happens th- in week one. I think this is Kansas City's revenge tour. I 100% think Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense are going to average 35 or more points a game. I think this is going to be an offense that's going to set some records in the NFL this year. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are no slouch in this department. I think they potentially could be the one or the two seed. I think there is some heavy competition at the top of the AFC because the AFC is so deep this year. That's not even mentioning the Los Angeles Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Denver Broncos, who I all who I think will all be good, as well as the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans are both very good this year. I think the the battle for the the seven playoff spots uh, in the AFC is a, essentially a done deal already. I think you kind of know what those seven teams are going to look like, and I think it's ultimately going to be about which teams are playing their best football at the end of the season. Uh, because again, I, I think teams like Indianapolis, I think teams like Tennessee, I think teams like Cincinnati, um, Baltimore, they're all built to win late in the season. And I think if you can, if you run up against a team like that, uh, I think you're in trouble if you're the, the Buffalo Bills. And, and again, not only that, but if you get into a score fest with a team like the Kansas City Chiefs who eliminated the Bills last year, I think you have a problem on your hands there. I think the Bills are an excellent team, but I think there are some teams in the AFC that pose significant challenges to the Buffalo Bills and their path to a potential Super Bowl berth. You know, there is another team that I've been thinking about lately that could potentially be a big thorn in everybody's side later on if they make this change, and that is the Tennessee Titans. I don't see them coming out at the end of the year with Tannehill as their starting quarterback. I believe that Malik Willis will be the starting quarterback at some point midway through the season because Tannehill is just showing that he is not the guy there. And that team cannot survive just running the ball with Derrick Henry every every game. Uh, they're going to have to be able to pass the ball, and Tannehill has shown that he cannot do that. Well, I actually think coming out of that Tennessee-New York Giants game that I didn't think that the running game was what you typically see from a Tennessee Titans football team. I think they've got to go back to the drawing board. I think they've got to clean up a lot of the miscues in the running game. Because, again, Tannehill has never shown that he's going to be a guy that just takes over a game with his arm. He is a game manager. He is the type of quarterback that's going to, again, the thing that he didn't do last year, otherwise Tennessee's probably the AFC representative in the Super Bowl, is he didn't take care of the football against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, got sacked nine times in that ball game, the most by any any quarterback to ever win a playoff game. He was sacked nine times, ultimately lost that game uh, because he turned the ball over four times uh, and and really let the entire team down the defense in the running game. Remember, Derrick Henry missed a big chunk of last year, came back for the playoffs. That team looked like it was ready to roll. And unfortunately, because Ryan Tannehill couldn't take care of the football, their season ended early. And that's precisely my point is that Tannehill has shown over and over again in, in big games that he cannot get the job done. And Malik Willis has shown and those games that he was able to play in the preseason, that he is a playmaker, and he's going to be able to make things happen for you on the offensive side of the ball. And if if you put him in the backfield with Derrick Henry, that is a dynamic duo that is going to be very tough to stop. And I feel like as soon as they make that change, Tennessee is going to be a different animal. Like, they're going to be on the same level as a Buffalo Bills or a Kansas City Chiefs or 
any top team you want to name as soon as they make that change. But until they do, they're just going to be the same old mediocre, I'm going to run the ball down your throat team. And they're not going to have that different dynamic to be able to pass the ball and run the ball with the quarterback all over you all night long. I'm just going to give you some of the quarterbacks that had top quarterback ratings in football in the NFL in week one. Patrick Mahomes, no surprise, led all quarterbacks with a 94.1 QBR. As the scale goes from 0 to 100, it was Josh Allen with a 91.2 in second place. Justin Herbert, 84.8. Kirk Cousins, 80.7. Tua Tagovailoa in the fifth position with a 78.2 QBR. Then some surprises on this list. You had 69.1 for Geno Smith in the sixth spot, 68.1 for Lamar Jackson in the seventh spot, and Ryan Tannehill coming in in the eighth spot at 65.3. See, I don't think you have a situation where Ryan Tannehill plays badly. I think you had a one outlier game where he just didn't play his best football. I think ultimately Mike Vrabel is the type of coach that is a defensive head coach. He is going to play it conservative. He's going to win with the defense and the running game. And he's just going to ask Ryan Tannehill not to turn the ball over. I watched Malik Willis play a lot in college at Liberty. I do not think he is very good at taking care of the football. He showed a lot of bad decision-making last year when he was – potentially in that consideration for the number one quarterback to come off the board last year in the draft. He did not make good decisions at Liberty. He turned the ball over a lot. One game that sticks out to me immensely is the Ole Miss game when he went on the road and just there were quite a few inexplicable throws against an SEC defense that I, I just couldn't understand. Um, I think yes, Malik Willis is the future for that Tennessee Titans team, but I don't think that future is now. I think at least this year Ryan Tannehill is the guy, and I think you're going to have a year where Malik Willis sits and just has to learn what the NFL game is all about. Yeah, I'm just saying if this continues, Tennessee Titans, they have a very tough test this week, and if Tannehill does not look good, then the the fans are going to be on them about trying to get Malik Willis into there as a starting quarterback. And it's not going to be a tough decision to make, but there's going to be a lot of pressure there in Tennessee to be able to make a change if, if things continue to go the way it has for Tennessee. Now, a couple of questions for you as far as teams that you are selling stock on as bad teams. Uh, what are uh, a team or two that you come out of NFL week one and you're like, man, that team has just no chance going forward uh, to be competitive? Now, are we talking playoff contenders, Super Bowl contenders? No, I'm talking any team. I just don't think the Jets are going to be competitive in any game this year. I think this is a team that could potentially, at least without Zach Wilson, that team could potentially go winless on the season. Yeah, that's a team also that that I feel like they have some talented pieces on their roster. Obviously, they got Sauce Gardner in the draft in the number one, uh, the first round, and he's going to be very good for them. Uh, I feel like Zach Wilson's going to be the guy for them going forward. Uh, he just doesn't have a lot of talent around him right now. Uh, it's just a roster that's still in rebuild mode, uh, and they 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 just got to figure it out. They uh, they have a couple drafts to get their roster right. They're going to hit free agency, but as of right now, that team's not going to be very competitive. Uh, another team that I would like to sell stock on would be the. Indianapolis Colts, to be honest with you. I mean, they did show that the Texans, they played kind of down to the Texans' level in that game. We both did predict that the Texans were going to be able to stay in that game. Not as long as they did, to be honest with you. They did carry that three-possession lead into the fourth quarter before they ultimately gave it away and ended up with a tie. But 
I just don't see Matt Ryan leading that team the way that they need to be led to get to the playoffs and be able to do what everybody is expecting them to do. Yeah, I think the Indianapolis Colts are a team that it's going to take a little bit for Matt Ryan to kind of settle in as the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. I think that team can reach a very high ceiling later on in the season. Um, Again, I think a, a game against the Houston Texans on the road, the Houston Texans are going to be a scrappy team this year. They're going to be a team that surprises people with how hard they play. They're going to be a team that just hangs around in ball games, and they're going to be a team that when the quarterback, Davis Mills, is hot, they're going to be a team that you can't beat. I mean, remember, this is a team that the Los Angeles Chargers, who were fighting for a playoff berth last year, came into Reliant Stadium, and the Houston Texans hung a 35-piece on the Los Angeles Chargers and effectively ended their season. Um, And that was a game that Davis Mills essentially played lights out. And when you get that type of play from your quarterback, you're going to have a chance to win in the NFL. Um, But for me, the two teams that I'm selling as teams that I don't think could potentially be competitors that were competitors last year, I think one team specifically, the Dallas Cowboys, I think they're in bad shape. They traded away Amari Cooper. C.D. Lamb's their only viable weapon on offense at this point while Michael Gallup is hurt. Ezekiel Elliott looks a year older. Dak Prescott's now hurt. They lost Tyron Smith, their left tackle, for at least six weeks. They have some real, real issues on the offensive side of the football, and it definitely showed as they were the only team in the NFL not to score a touchdown in week one. The other team that I have a big concerns about going forward is the Arizona Cardinals. I think that team does have the talent to be successful, but I everything that's going on around the Kyler Murray situation, I think you have to start putting some stock. Like when you have a problem with a player, especially your franchise quarterback, you don't let that get out into the media. And so for that to get out into the media in the offseason where they put a clause in his contract where he needed to do more film study, every time there's a breakdown in an offensive play that's the fault of the quarterback or not getting protections right on the offensive side of the football, and then they struggle to score points or are never in games like they were in week one, that get that that little you know that little uh, sound in the, your ear that whisper in your ear becomes a little bit louder and a little bit louder and a little bit louder and soon enough it's going to be a yelling situation in your ear and you're not going to be able to tune it out where essentially people are saying that you know Kyler Murray has relied on his athletic ability and he hasn't done enough of the hard work that goes into being a franchise quarterback and I think that's starting to show and it could potentially cost Cliff Kingsbury his job at the end of the season. And um, that's where I'm going to have to disagree with you on both fronts, both teams. I feel like the Cowboys are still in a situation where they can get healthy at the right time and be able to navigate their schedule and still win their division. Yes, they have some glaring holes right now with the injuries that they have, but Gallup is on the rise. He just played 7-on-7 coming back from that ACL injury, and he should be back in uh, good to go. Cooper Rush is he's not some terrible backup that's just managing games for them to be able to go in there and get beat by a couple touchdowns. No, he's going to be very competitive for them and he's he's going to show everybody that he can be a very capable backup to Dak Prescott while he's out. And then on to the Arizona Cardinals. I believe that winning cures everything for that team and they have a very tough matchup against the Raiders coming up this Sunday at 325 and right now the Raiders are five and a half point favorite 
but I feel like that's a team or that's a game where the Cardinals can bounce back from their week one loss and get a W and cure really everything that's going on around that situation that everybody keeps talking about with the new Call of Duty game coming out and Kyler Murray being more interested in that versus watching film and just not relying on being able to learn schemes, uh, different defensive uh, schemes that's being thrown at him and everything like that. But I honestly feel like that this is a game where they can really bounce back and turn things around and then all the media will go away and they'll be able to settle into their schedule and become that high-caliber team that they can be, that I know they can be. Let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys' schedule coming up. Dak Prescott out. They host the Bengals this weekend. I don't think that's even a close game, okay? I think the Bengals on a mission after losing at home week one in a divisional game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the Bengals hang 31 in this game, and I think it's like a 31-10-type ball game, right? Then they go on the road on Monday night to face the Giants. That's a divisional matchup. Again, they'll be playing without their starting quarterback. I think there's issues there that could potentially result in a loss there. Then they come home for the Commanders. That's potentially a win. Okay, so one and two without Dak Prescott with the loss already in hand. So one and three after losing to the Buccaneers in week one. Then they go to the Rams. That's a loss. To the Eagles, that's a loss. Now you're looking at one and five before you come back home and you host the Lions. Potential win there, so let's say two and five. Potential win hosting the Bears at home, three and five. Then you go to the Packers, that's a loss, three and six. You go to the Vikings, that's a loss, three and seven. And then you have the Giants at home, which that's no guarantee on Thanksgiving Day. Well, hold on now. Hold on. You did see that the report says that he'll only be out six to eight weeks, so you went past a couple of those weeks where he's already going to be back. Yeah, but I'm still talking about an offense that he didn't get hurt until the fourth quarter. They didn't put points up against the Buccaneers' defense. I get that, but Gallup is going to be returning in the next couple of weeks. He's already starting football uh, activities and everything like that, and I believe that once he's back, that offense will be just fine with the two running backs that they have in Zeke and Pollard. And as soon as Dak Prescott's able to get back fully healthy, then he's going to be an MVP caliber quarterback like he's been before. I just think this is at best a 500 team at this point, and I think it wouldn't surprise me to see this team finish under 500, uh, given that they do have a very tough schedule. I mean, again, like I said, they have games against the Pan- the Packers, the Vikings. You have games against the Colts. You already played the Buccaneers. You have games against the Rams. You have two against the Eagles. Um, these are not easy games. You have the, you have to go to the Titans late in the season. Like these are not easy games on the schedule after hosting the Bengals this week. Like it, there's there's no breaks really for the Dallas Cowboys outside of playing the Lions and the Bears back to back. Other than that, I think they have really tough games. They ultimately they have a game against the Texans at home in the, in December, and that's going to be a rivalry game. And the Texans, you don't know where they're going to be because they're scrappy enough to where they could be around 500 with a chance to maybe play their way into the playoffs late in the season. Yeah, and I still feel like the Cowboys are going to be a better team the second time around against the Eagles, and I feel like that's a game that they can get to split with the Eagles to where they'll be one and one and then it'll just come down to common opponent or whoever has the best record at the end of the year. And I think that the Cowboys, even with the injury of Dak Prescott, can still win around nine to ten games and be in that contention for the division win. I don't see the Eagles getting past ten wins this year, so I feel like they're going to be right around that area. And so it's just about how can the Cowboys bounce back whenever 
Dak Prescott gets back onto the field and they have everybody healthy and they can navigate probably going undefeated the rest of the way whenever he gets back. It's going to be tough, but I do feel like they can win around 9 to 10 games and be right there with the Eagles to win that division. You want to talk about a murderer's row schedule. Let's look down the Cardinals' schedule going the rest of the way. The Cardinals are at the Raiders this weekend. The Raiders are a five-point favorite. Then they're home for the Rams, at the Panthers, home for the Eagles, at the Seahawks, home for the Saints, at the Vikings, home for the Seahawks again, or... Yeah, home for the Seahawks, then at the Rams, home for the 49ers, home for the Chargers, home for the Patriots, at the Broncos, home for the Bucks, at the Falcons, and then home for the 49ers. I have a tough time finding five wins if Kyler Murray isn't playing his best football. And that's the thing is that I believe Kyler Murray will be playing his best football because he has a lot to prove this year, and he does not want to prove anybody wrong, especially coming off that big contract that he just received that he pouted about in the offseason. So if if he wants to show that he's that next-level kind of quarterback that he has shown last year in those seven games before it all kind of fell off the rails, then he has to get the job done, and it has to start this weekend against the Raiders. And I believe that he can get that job done as long as Cliff Kingsbury comes with a better game plan than he did the week one. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us on the No Gray Area podcast a great episode, too, as we recapped everything that happened in the world of college football and the NFL. Uh, we look forward to coming back later on in this week and having another episode where we preview week three in college football, week two in the NFL, as we talk about some of the games that we're looking forward to, some of the lines that we think you should take advantage of from a sports betting opportunity. And we look forward to watching another weekend of great fall football here uh, as we continue on in this 2022 season as we'd like to thank you again for joining us make sure you download uh, and like and leave comments where you consume your podcasts as you continue to take in the no gray area podcast content uh, i'd like to thank again Corey cooper for joining me on this episode and we look forward to having another episode for you here later in the week all right see you guys later